Welcome to the Pets Who Thrive podcast, where we cover all areas of natural animal health and challenge what we've been conditioned to think regarding how to raise and keep a healthy pet. My name is Tammy. I'm an entrepreneur and a certified animal naturopath with a passion for animals and empowering other pet owners with tools for creating the healthiest version of your amazing pets. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to today's episode. I am so glad you're joining me. Today I have uh, Dr. Todd Cooney back with us and we are going to be talking about some of the most common things that we hear um, quite a bit and I think a lot of you will be able to relate to it. So I'm kind of excited about a couple of the topics that we have um, to discuss today. So welcome Dr. Todd. Thank you so much for joining again. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Tammy. I'm glad to be here. All right. Well, okay. So a lot of people, especially right now with all of the new grass coming up and new weeds coming up and all that, um, we hear constantly, my dog just eats grass. Like he'll be just gnawing on grass like a cow. Um, So I wanted to see if maybe you could give us a little insight on that. Yeah, it's um, it is a common thing, and a lot of people notice that with their dogs, and and it's one of those things where there's a lot of um, information out there, I guess, uh, anecdotal information, a lot of wives' tales and myths and folklore about why do dogs do this or that, but why do they eat grass is one of the big ones, and mm-hmm. um, and a lot of people that I deal with, if, especially if they're kind of like rural or country folk. They assume that the dog is lacking something in mm-hmm. the diet, you know, it's and that they're common, trying yes. to satisfy some kind of an urge. But, but I've I've had dogs of my own that I know weren't lacking anything, and they would go mm-hmm. out and just chow down on fresh, especially fresh grass, early new growth of grass in the spring, and or after a rain or something like that. And you know, I um, one of my teachers, one of my homeopathy teachers, said. Um, you know, they observe wolves doing the same thing. So it may just be a natural urge that some dogs do more than others. Um, so that's, you know, that's one view of maybe it's a normal thing, maybe a normal uh, part of dog behavior. But other people say, well, they they make they do it to make themselves throw up. They mm. eat because their stomach's upset because then they throw up after they do it. And so it's almost like a chicken and an egg question, you know, right. which, which came first. Um, so it, uh, you know, I think it can happen when dogs don't feel well, you know, if they're sick. I think it can be a symptom of chronic disease, you know, especially like vaccinosis. Dogs, dogs that do anything excessively, you know, especially with eating stuff, if they're mm-hmm. doing it in excess, a lot of times I think it's linked to vaccinosis and, you know, the chronic damage that vaccines can do to the brain, especially into the immune system. Um, so it, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky question. I mean, it seems like a simple thing at first when you just ask, you know, why do all dogs eat grass? So, but yeah, usually, usually, usually I'll ask people other questions too and kind of dig in a little bit more and get some more information. Well, and one of the things too that I have I have read about, um, and that is that sometimes they're seeking like soil based organisms. 
Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes yeah. they're just, they're needing something. Um, I guess it's closer to, I don't know, just because we're like, la- our food is lacking it so much. Yeah. Um, if you're on a really highly processed diet or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. Trying to fix their gut, their gut biome. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that yes. could be true too. That could be part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although sometimes they're probably eating grass with Roundup on it. Exactly. <laughs> so, I know. I know. Yeah. I think about that too. Like so all that the can pesticides. be a concern. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. they're, they may be consuming, which is another worrisome thing. Um, eating that accidentally. Yeah. Not, I didn't mean that they were eating it on purpose because they had Roundup. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Just that the, right. you know, ground had been treated with it. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, have you, have you found anything that has maybe worked well for these dogs? Um whether nutritionally or remedy wise. And again, I, I, I realize that there is a complete profile, maybe chronic disease profile that you might need to see in order to make yeah. that call, but maybe just anything yeah. that, that you found to help these dogs. Um, sure. Yeah. Well, there's, there's some, there's some remedies kind of associated with nutritional um, problems in general, you know, and I mean, a big one with dogs is probably calcarea. Calcaria cabanica. Um, it's a remedy. I think of if a if a dog has a habit of eating um, lots of things that aren't food, like the dogs outside trying to eat rocks, sticks, dirt, um, clothing. You know, they're they're eating yeah. socks, they're eating underwear, they're they're eating all kinds of things in addition to their food. And um, <clears throat> of course, it happens a lot in young dogs and puppies because they're just curious about everything, right? And they're just picking things up and eating them willy-nilly. But when it when it happens in older dogs, especially older dogs that weren't really doing it when they were younger, then you know, then it's more of a symptom, I think, of chronic trouble, chronic disease. And would so, that also apply? Because I know another biggie that I hear that is is very troublesome for a lot of people is when a dog either eats their own poop or another housemate's poop. Um, yeah. I would Good imagine question. that maybe it would kind of fit under some of those same categories that we're yeah, talking that's, about. That's, yeah, that's the $64,000 question. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, yeah. In fact, I was in Barnes & Noble once, and there was a, I was just kind of browsing the animal section of the shelf, which I do sometimes. And there was a, a book called Why Do Dogs Eat Poop? Mm-hmm. And other mysteries, you know, and I thought, oh, this looks interesting. Mm-hmm. I've never seen anyone title a book that, but it didn't have the answer. I, I thumbed through the book real quick and the answer wasn't in there. Why do they eat their poop? <laughs> there were just some of the common, you know, myths. Right. They're, they're lacking something in their diet. They're, they're trying to hide their stool or they're trying to hide another dog's stool or, mm-hmm. you know, just different, different things. And uh, for some species, it's normal. I mean, rabbits do it all the time, but it's not really considered normal for dogs. Well, and I've actually got a story to tell that you were involved in that really helped. Um, One of my friends um, got a unvaccinated German Shepherd puppy, and this dog was obsessed with eating poop to the point that it would, as soon as her other dog... um, finished, you know, going to the bathroom, it would run over there really fast. And 
So she, she worked with you and you guys really, um, I think you might've gone through a few different remedies. Um, and the most interesting thing is, is you talk to her about that. It's most likely vaccinosis. Again, this dog hadn't been vaccinated, right? but all of that had most likely been, you know, inherited from the mom and daddy dog. Mm -hmm. Anyways, the, the good news is, um, he stopped doing it after you yeah. guys worked together. Yeah. And um, yeah. she said he didn't ever, I mean, it was just like, it went away. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it, it's usually, it's usually pretty treatable. I mean, most, most dogs, especially younger dogs, you can usually treat them with one of the rabies vaccinosis remedies, mm-hmm. like uh, lysin or lachesis or one of those. And yeah, it's it's amazing. They'll usually stop doing that. Um, it won't it won't fix all of their chronic trouble, but it'll usually fix that, mm-hmm. which is usually one of the most concerning things for the dog owner. Exactly. <laughs> the dog you know, they're pretty distressed about that habit. Um, so yeah, a lot of times it is it is. Um, I wouldn't say it's easy to correct, but it is treatable. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, and that is good news for people that are, yeah. you know, really troubled by that because it is frustrating as a pet parent. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's gross, mm-hmm. you know, it's something, you know, yeah. especially our dogs, a lot of us, a lot of them sleep with us. They give us kisses <laughs> and, oh, yeah. you know, before yeah. you know it, you know, you've got a wet kiss from a dog that just consumed poop. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to think of your dog the same way after you've witnessed them doing That's that. right. It's very true. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Your little baby is now something yeah. changes. <laughs> so true. Yeah. Um but yeah, so. so the other thing too that um I have done for those people especially when they're eating grass, uh the dog is eating grass is um recommend maybe some and we have some like organic um, green blends, you know, because mm-hmm. maybe the dog isn't eating something that, you know, yeah, has some exactly. of that, those, yeah. um, the nutrients. Yeah, there's from lots that. of good options for those anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, like raw green tripe is another option. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And again, I'm not saying that it's 100% fixed, but maybe that's enough sometimes to mm-hmm. give them what they're, what they're trying to seek out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because they're pretty instinctive about, um, you know, correcting their own deficiency. I mean, if they know they need something, a lot of times they'll try to figure out a way to get that. Mm-hmm. So, exactly, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and we'll try things like that or or uh, probiotics or enzymes or you know, all kinds of digestive mm-hmm. supplements. And, um, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So that's yeah, good information yeah. because, um, and I know like you were talking about rock sticks, I thought about socks, you know, shirts. Yeah. I mean, there's so many dogs that end up consuming things. They yeah. end up having to have surgery, you know, because they, oh, yeah. you know, ate a shirt, yeah. you know. Yeah. Some dogs are just fanatics about it. We had a, we had a Husky, uh, about a year ago in our practice within about six or seven months, we did three surgeries on this dog to take socks out of his bowel. My goodness. And they, they, for some reason they had trouble keeping their laundry picked up off the floor, but the dog, <laughs> but the dog would even one time, he even opened a drawer and got socks out of the drawer. <gasps> oh my goodness. Um, That's crazy. He was, he was obsessed. obsessed. It. Yeah. Um, 
it's been it's been over a year now, so I think maybe he's finally uh, dropped that habit or gotten better. So, Were you able or, to get, treat him um, with homeopathy to kind of help with yeah, kind of getting over that? Yeah, hump? we tried. We tried to treat with homeopathy. Um, even before the first surgery, mm-hmm. you know, cause they were concerned cause he was starting to do it. He was eating cloth clothing and socks and underwear and he was passing them. They'd find it out in the yard, you know, after he passed it or he would vomit it up, but they knew that if he kept it up, it was going to be a matter of time mm, Yeah, before it caught up with him. So, <clears throat> so we kept treating him homeopathically and I think we tried several different remedies and um, I think calcarea might've been the one you know, after the third surgery that finally made a difference. I mean, yeah. we were given it before that, but as we kept going with it, I think he got better. Good. We may have also treated him with some of the rabies vaccine mm-hmm. remedies too. Sure. Um, yeah, because it really relates to, if you think of a dog with natural rabies that really has rabies, one of the things they'll do is they'll, they'll, they'll eat anything. They'll eat sticks, and rocks and dirt hmm. and chew on their own body and they'll eat their own stool and, it's like they don't care. They'll. It's like they're um, crazy, you know, they're mad. Like their brain is crazy, and it sure. really is crazy. And so, dogs with rabies vaccinosis, a lot of times, will have a, a a watered down version of that same behavior. You know, so they'll um, they'll maybe do it in a mild way or a more extreme way, like this mm-hmm. dog that like to eat socks. So so interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, so it can relate to that um, rabies miasm, you know, where dogs are affected um, in a similar way that rabies, natural rabies would affect them. And um, so it, it makes sense because, you know, the, the vaccine has a similar energy to the real virus. So it can, yeah. it can have similar effects. Yeah, in a homeopathy course, we, we Dr. Pitcairn talked about chronic rabies. You know, chronic rabies and chronic distemper, and I'd never heard such a thing. I thought, you know, what are you talking about, chronic rabies? Yeah. <laughs> and he, he was referring to this rabies miasm, you know, where dogs have a lot of similar symptoms to rabies, but they're they're less, less severe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a dog with rabies might have all the symptoms, and a dog with chronic rabies might only have one or two. You know, they might, they might want to chew on, eat sticks and rocks and poop and... Maybe they have dry eye or they have reverse sneezing or something like that. Other signs of chronic rabies. So, yeah. Or just yeah. all of a sudden, yeah. you know, go into Cujo mode. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. I've had a dog that does yeah. that and, you know, it's hard to predict, you know, because. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's just yeah. like a flip that switches. Yeah. Um, they become a little bit unpredictable and kind of sketchy. So. hmm yeah. And they'll act like they don't recognize people that, you know, they've known them all their life. And all yeah. of a sudden they act like they, they don't recognize them and forget who they are or something. Yeah. Um, just just for briefly, you know, usually just for a short time and, mm-hmm. and then they're okay again. Yeah. So how would you define rabies miasm? Just kind of the, some having some of the same <laughs> symptoms, like you said, um, without them being like full-blown yeah, yeah, similar symptoms, um, similar symptoms, and a lot of times they're um, behavioral things. You know, they're um, and you can 
you can sometimes see this within a month or two after a rabies vaccine, or sometimes you just see it developing in a young dog that has never had a rabies vaccine. So as they get older, but there are a lot of things that we, uh, we tend to just uh, shrug off and think, well, you know, that's normal dog behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like separation anxiety is a good example. You know, dogs mm. have severe separation anxiety. Um, that's, you know, clingy behavior. They don't want to be left alone. They follow the people from room to room and want to be like up against you, touching you all the time. That that can be part of the rabies miasm. And um, you know, most most uh, conventional thinking anymore would just say, "Well, this dog just needs some anxiety medicine. You know, just sure. needs something to settle its nerves." Um, the other extreme from that is like a dog that doesn't want to be confined this is constantly breaking out of its kennel or breaking mm. out of the house or breaking out of the yard, wanting to run away, you know, wanting to roam. And then, um, you know, dogs that just become real restless, they're, you know, they're, um, they may get aggressive or they may just get kind of flighty and they just want to run away and not be near anyone. Um, they're not yeah. affectionate anymore. I had a dog that I fostered for a very short time that Mm -hmm. she was a Catahoula and Mm -hmm. I've never seen a dog that would get out of anything. I'm talking about what, you know, she was in a, when I first took her on, she was in like a chain link um, pen that even had a chain link top, you know, and Mm -hmm. wired down because they yeah, couldn't keep her like in. A, like a zoo animal cage. Yeah, like it, seriously. Animal and she would find a way out. She would either push the wire out or yeah. figure out a way to get out on top. And yeah. they said, we can't keep her anymore because she, we know she's, she's getting out. Yeah. She's running around the neighborhood, you know? So yeah. I thought, okay. Um, actually what happened was they ended up taking her to the shelter and I <laughs> went and got her at the shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And I, it was the hardest thing. I, I mean, I could not, she would break out of those airline type crates. Mm-hmm. Um, she just couldn't stand it. And then she would, when she got outside, she would run off. You could never um, catch her, you know? So anyway, she ended up moving and living on a farm and um, yeah. which hopefully Made that ended happy, well. Probably. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You know, she may have run off, but yeah, that's interesting because I didn't, of course, this was, gosh, probably 15 years ago. And I didn't mm-hmm. know anything about rabies miasm at the time. And um, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, yeah. It, it can show up in a lot of different ways. And, um, you know, dogs, uh, dogs that just start to become excessive barkers, you know, they mm. just bark at everything they never did before that. That can go along with it. Um, one of the things that surprised me that I didn't realize could be part of it is dogs with uh, finicky appetites. You know, they just, they become real picky appetite, uh, picky eaters. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to find anything they like. And and I'll hear that a lot. And usually usually the dog I'm looking at is kind of overweight. So I, so I think <laughs> to myself, well, they're not too picky. Right. Uh, um, but this, this idea of having a finicky appetite, um, you know, can also be part of this, um, mm. because a dog with real rabies usually doesn't want to eat anything. I mean, 
except for sticks and rocks and poop and dirt, you know. Yeah. But it does it has no interest in regular food. So interesting. Um, yeah, so that could be part of it. Um laryngeal paralysis, which is becoming more and more common in dogs, you know, and it's recognized as an autoimmune thing, at least now they conventional people recognize that it's autoimmune. Um, but this is probably part of the rabies miasm, mm-hmm. um, paralysis and megaesophagus, both. So, and then, of course, you know, just dis- destructive behavior, dogs that shred, you know, you go away and you come back and your couch is in a pile of cloth in the middle of the living room. Sure, <laughs> or yes. Or they've, eat- they've eaten through the door and they're out running around in the backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then an obvious one, you know, seizures, seizures. Mm-hmm. Um, epilepsy, twitching, um, just just general other kind of neurologic issues that dogs have. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, there's, you know, there's there's a lot of ways it manifests itself, but it's interesting, I think, because it, you can all you can find a way to relate it back to this idea of being similar to rabies. No kidding. Yeah. <clears throat> That's yeah. so interesting and so many things that you hear about on a regular basis that we just think are, you know, yeah. my dog just has this behavioral issue and there's not a connection, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. you know, to the fact that. Yeah, a lot of, right. A lot of things the trainers deal with all the time are probably rabies, myasthenia. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, so another um, thing that comes up so much um, that I was hoping that you could also maybe shed some light on is these dogs that just all of a sudden they develop these lumps and bumps all over their body. Mm -hmm. And some dogs it's excessive. Another dog might just have one and then it continues to grow. Um, And so maybe you could tell us a little bit about that Mm -hmm. um, uh, just so we have a, a better understanding. Yeah. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, and, and yeah, it is something, you know, because I, I still do quite a bit of clinical work. And it's one of the more common things that just shows up all the time, um, especially with older dogs, you know, middle age and older. They're, mm-hmm. they're going to develop a lot of lumps and bumps. And um, most people who have had dogs, you know, for quite a while understand this and are familiar with it. And the majority of them are these benign fatty tumors. You know, we call them fatty tumors or they're called lipomas, which just means fatty tumor. And they're almost never um, a big health concern, but they're kind of a red flag. I mean, to me and to homeopaths, they're kind of a red flag that the, you know, the um, uh, body's out of balance a little bit. You know, Mm -hmm. something's out of balance because they're not really normal. Even though they're common, they're not normal. And um, it's like dogs with doggy odors. You know, dogs shouldn't really smell like dogs. They should not have a bad smell. Mm-hmm. But people assume a doggy odor is normal. So That's true. Um, yeah. So so lipomas, fatty tumors, is probably 90% or more of all the lumps and bumps that show up on dogs. And they they feel a certain way. And most, most vets are pretty, pretty well... Um, experience and able to differentiate a fatty tumor from other kinds of tumors by the way they feel mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um there's a tendency it's it's probably a, a greater tendency now than it used to be when i was 
just out of school, but a tendency to want to biopsy everything, mm-hmm. you know, and put a needle in it and let's see what it is. And I used to needle biopsy quite a few lumps and bumps, but then I, after, um, you know, the first thousand that were fatty tumors. <laughs> right. You kind of learn. I started deciding not to put a needle in every fatty tumor that came in the door. Mm-hmm. And, um, and with some t- kinds of tumors, like mast cell tumors, that can actually even make them a lot worse. And some of the other more primitive, aggressive, malignant tumors, I've seen them get much worse after a needle biopsy, you know, where someone, someone else has put a needle in it and biopsied it. Sure. And like the next and day or two, scary. it just explodes, and it, it's like 10 times the size it was. And then, you know, any hope of trying to remove the thing is pretty much gone at that point. Um, so if it, you know, my own approach is if, if it, if it makes me want to biopsy it, I would, I would rather remove it if it's Mm -hmm. possible, you know, just go ahead and remove it or, um, or treat with homeopathy, you know, before we do anything invasive because homeopathy in a lot of situations can make a difference. And, um, and you don't know if you don't try, but that's right. But, but, but lumps and bumps though, it's, yeah, it's, you can, you can put lumps and bumps and other kinds of growths and tumors probably all in the same miasm group. And it's not really the rabies miasm group, but it's the, the psychotic or psychotic spelled with just an S, not a PS. So it's not like mental illness psychosis, but it's, mm-hmm. it's psychosis. People call it psychosis, but it's Hahnemann's um, second category, one of the, one of the three big categories that he came up with for chronic disease, there was Sora, psychosis, and syphilis. And psychosis is the type that has all the tumors in it, pretty much. You know, there's a few maybe that are in the syphilis group. And and Sora is beneath both of them. So if you have psychosis, you also have Sora automatically. And that's just a little bit, you know, a little bit of a homeopathy theory there. but. Hmm. That's so Sora under underlies all chronic disease or or most of it, like ninety five percent of it. And then um, if you don't have Sora, usually you won't have the others either. You won't have psychosis or syphilis. <clears throat> so basically, and, uh, it just co- it boils down to even though it's not a maybe a cancerous tumor, um, there yeah. is an imbalance in the system. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, and and chronic disease, maybe, again, um, tied to vaccines. Yeah, psychosis. Psychosis, um, vaccinosis is actually considered part of the psychosis miasm. So, um, and that's why, that's why Thuya is one of the big remedies for vaccinosis, because Thuya is the major remedy for psychosis. Hmm. Um, So people, you know, people think of warts a lot with Thuya because... Um, that's what's on the bottle, right? When you buy a when you buy a little tube of Thuya at the health food store, it'll say warts on it. Yes. <clears throat> so it's yeah. I've had many people warts. ask me about that too. Yeah, but but warts are just um, growths. You know, they're just excessive growths mm-hmm. of tissue, and that's what psychosis is. It's an it's an excessive um, an excess of things. Uh, Sore is a deficiency of things. Psychosis is an excess, and so really. If you have tumors and lumps and bumps, you're really talking about vaccinosis because not much else will cause psychosis to develop in an animal 
other than vaccines. So here we are back at the place where we say everything's from vaccinosis because it's probably true. Yeah. That's so <laughs> and, interesting. Um, yeah. People that breed natural dogs these days that are raising dogs with no vaccines at all for several generations, they, they have very little um, occurrence of, you know, tumors and growths and things like that um, because they, they have kind of gotten rid of that miasm out of their bloodlines. Right. So it's interesting. That's um, very interesting. But, you know, the rest of the world is just hobbles along and we just think it's a, a fact of life, you know? Exactly. And that's, oh. that's the sad part yeah. is that, and yeah, you know, and that's part. what the, the vet's telling them too. Yeah. Oh, this happens as they get older. And yeah. It's just a, a fatty oh, tumor. Yeah. 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 And, and now you read in most places um, that talk about it, that cancer is the number one killer of dogs now. And, it, it wasn't even in the top 10 when I was in vet school in the 80s. It, it, it wasn't up that high. And now it's considered the number one thing. Mm. And, um, and and seems to be happening earlier and earlier. In the I know. Lives. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I haven't really... Yeah, I haven't really kept real close track of that like we have with Parvo and some other things. Mm-hmm. Well, and we already have, you know, our dog's and cats, you know, already have a shortened lifespan. And then mm-hmm. on top of that, we're adding, you know, something unnatural, you know, the vaccine and mm-hmm. the, um, you know, all the things that come along with that, including the load mm-hmm. of heavy metals um, yeah. that the body doesn't really know what to do with. And yeah. so no wonder, um, yeah. you know, yeah. it, it's things really that the body was never meant to deal with. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that more and more um, in, you know, in the natural world, there's, there's all kinds of challenges now. Yeah. So. It's, it's no wonder more and more pets are, you know, their bodies are crying uncle, you know, we can't take anymore. Yeah. Cause I mean, yeah. number one, they're, you know, you can, you know, develop these things just from one vaccine, but then of course, yeah. you know, we're, we're good pet parents. We get that postcard and we want to check it off yeah. and, yeah, no yes. idea. Yeah, that's a good chance for. I tell people that's a good chance for for you to be smarter than your vet. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> and right. Tell your vet to go back and read the textbook from the nineties that says annual vaccinations are no longer necessary. Yeah, um, and there's no scientific yeah. proof that they yeah. create no. more immunity. No, none at all. Yeah, none at all. So this is um, really interesting. So just you know, just. A couple of things that come up on a daily basis, you know, yeah. eating grass, eating their own poop, lumps and bumps all over the place. Um, yeah. So what are some of the things, again, I know you sometimes, like we said, need the entire chronic um, disease profile, but have, are there any remedies maybe just that you found to be effective <clears throat> with, with some of those lumps and bumps? Um, yeah, probably, probably the, um, fig three, I would say, and they're, they're available at anybody over the counter. Um, you know, Whole Foods has them or any, any place that sells homeopathic remedies. Um, Thuya, um, sulfur and silica. Okay. Yeah. And Thuya, sulfur and silica. And that's a lot of times, you know, we think of those as like the three musketeers or three amigos because they're, they're usually the big workhorse remedies to try to deal with a lot of vaccinosis issues. Mm-hmm. 
Um, especially, you know, we and silica are both anti-psychotic remedies. So, uh, mm-hmm. Sulfur is an anti-soric, anti-sora remedy. So, um, and most, uh, most, the, most of the time, these remedies will work better if they're giving kind of sequentially and not just, um, you know, one by itself. And then, like, like say, if you just got through you and you just want to try to use through you all the time to, to fix any kind of exonosis problem, you, you'll have some luck with that, but you're probably going to have to alternate with sulfur and silica and maybe some other mm-hmm. um, good vexinosis remedies. And, you know, and, and just work in to try to figure out what, what is a good constitutional remedy too for that animal. And, um, sure. Like, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a tricky thing to do. I mean, it, it's even tricky for people trained in homeopathy, but it's, it's worthwhile. It's worth pursuing. So if you can work with somebody who has some homeopathic training and trying to do that, mm-hmm. it, it, it's really, um, it's really satisfying when it works well. Mm-hmm. So. so have you seen one of those, you know, really large bumps or lumps go down after, um, dosing some of these remedies or do you mostly see it just maybe not grow more? Um, I've, I've seen both. I, mm-hmm. the most common thing I think is that they stop growing, mm-hmm. you know, they might, they might stop growing and they might shrink a little. Most times they don't completely disappear. Mm-hmm. So, so at the outset, I usually tell people, you know, if we can at least slow the growth of this or stop the growth of it so they don't get any bigger, you know, I'll be happy with that. And, and they usually say, yeah, we will too. And so um, in a few cases, they do disappear completely. Um, those usually aren't the fatty tumor type growths. Those usually don't disappear completely. But the ones I've seen disappear completely were uglier things, more malignant type tumors and uh, one that always stands out in my mind was a Great Dane that came in. He was about a three-year-old Great Dane, and he had a big growth on his front leg down by his wrist. And um, their their vet told him they either had to amputate the leg or euthanize the dog. Mm. And they didn't like either one of those options. You know, it wasn't bothering the dog at all. It was just a big. It was a big growth, and it was it was too big to remove because of where it was. And um, it was down like between the paw and the elbow, you know, in mm. that area. And um, so I, I said, well, I wouldn't want to amputate this either or try to remove it. So let's, you know, amputate the leg. So we can try homeopathy. And he goes, okay, we'll try that. And I'd never seen these people before, or this dog before. And we, we gave the dog a remedy. I think we gave it through you. And I, this was shortly after I first started doing homeopathy and I didn't, I wasn't really sure what to do. <laughs> right. I gave him three and then we sent home a dose of sulfur and told him to give that in about two or three weeks and then let us know what was happening. You know, and about three months later, the guy called me. He goes, hey, this uh, growth is shrinking. You know, it's quite a bit smaller. Can I have some more of that medicine? And I said, well, yeah. You know, and he stopped and he picked up, I think, another dose of sulfur and gave that and then. I said, let me know what happens. And a few months later, um, he called back and said, it's all gone. Wow. And they they had moved away, unfortunately, so the dog was gone. We didn't get any pictures, but um, it was completely gone. So That's amazing. That was a uh, that was a big aha moment for me because sure. I, I knew that that, you know, 
it had to be the remedy and it and it was definitely a tumor Mm-hmm. It, it looked like a nerve sheath tumor, and those are pretty nasty tumors that if you do remove them, they tend to grow right back. They tend to be kind of like crabgrass out in the yard. You mm. know, you, oh, yes. you take it off, and you think everything's fine, and then it comes right back. And in the same place, they don't they don't tend to spread throughout the body, but they tend to be locally reoccurring. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so anyway, that was. Well, that was a good that little, sto- good little uh, first, like that especially was, yeah, that was newer. that was great. But the majority of them don't do that. I would have to say, I wish they did. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't know. There's probably a lot of reasons for that. But but a big part of it is, you know, tumors. When you get to the point of having a tumor like that, it's pretty, it's pretty advanced. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's kind of like you're trying to turn around a freight train because mm-hmm. this has been going on for a while, and this body is, you know. Yeah, is pretty set on producing that tumor. So to try to convince it otherwise is a is a tricky task. Sure. Um, but it's so worth trying, and you know we we, we still keep trying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and yeah, and I think the big thing here is you know maybe maybe surgery is an option, but at least maybe try something like homeopathy first and see. Yeah. Um, if you yeah, can't I mean, make some progress and if, yeah, you know, if that, I'll, is- I'll almost always do that. Yeah. Even, unless it's just such an awful thing the first time we see it and mm-hmm. the dog's really miserable and in a lot sure. of pain, we'll, we'll go ahead and remove it and then start homeopathy afterwards, mm-hmm. um, with a goal of trying to prevent it from regrowing or spreading. And, and that, you know, that can be pretty successful a lot of times too. Yeah, it does give the dog quicker relief, but but when I do that, I go into it knowing that I'm causing suppression. You know, I'm suppressing by taking that tumor off. That's a type of suppression, and that's a big no-no in homeopathy. So, mm-hmm. um, so we're we're suppressing, but we're we're going to try to straighten things out afterwards. And sure, um, yeah, and and even the older homeopaths, you know, 200 years ago, they knew that was true, and like Holland would say, if you if you take the disease off of the scalpel, the body will put it somewhere where you can't reach it with the scalpel. Interesting. Yes, <laughs> and, I've read that uh, somewhere, and that is and so interesting. That yes. happens a lot of times. Yeah, we we remove something on the surface or even on the interior, and then it shows up somewhere else where we can't do anything about it. Yeah, you know, yeah. It goes to the lung or to the brain or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, the older, older homeopaths were pretty wise at observing what was happening. And yeah, it seems like we've, we've covered a lot of, uh, a variety of things, but we've kind of tied them all back into vaccinosis, which, uh, it's very true. Yes. And is, I think in maybe just yeah. kind of in, you know, wrapping up today. Um, I mean, yeah, one of the things that really sticks out to me is, you know, we think about these things as being, you know, just isolated, you know, scenarios. And really, it, it's, it does tie back to vaccine damage at some point. Yeah, it really does. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, things that we didn't even mention, but um, like, like the allergy issues and things that are rampant oh, right. in, in dogs these days, those, those are really related to immune dysfunction mm-hmm. caused by Caused by vaccines, caused mm-hmm. by vaccinosis. Yeah. And 
So when you think about all the major things that dogs or animals are suffering with, a lot of it's related to an immune system that's not working right. And when you dig a little deeper and say, well, why isn't this immune system working right? <laughs> there you yeah. go. And, and how can it be fixed? Um, I mean, in my opinion, homeopathy is one of the few things that can really address the issue mm-hmm. in a in a deep way, you know, in a deep and uh, profound way. So, and yeah, no, not not that it's the only way to do it, but it's one of the ways. Exactly, without cutting or causing more yeah, harm. Yeah, without sometimes. without just suppressing symptoms and mm-hmm. you know causing things to get worse. Yeah. And so in, in closing up today, mm-hmm. what would you, yeah. what would you like to maybe, um, I guess say about those people that are trying to figure out, you know, what do I do if I don't, if I don't vaccinate, how am I going to, you know, and I, I know that's another mm-hmm. big topic, but, you know, just <laughs> to kind of relieve people of, you know, that fear yeah. of that they have to have a vaccine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you're right, you hit it right on the head. It is a big fear and whether they're aware of it or not, a lot of people have kind of that deep underlying fear or just that uneasy feeling. Like, like I just talked to someone today and she, um, she got a new puppy about a month ago and she's been, she's been sitting at home kind of in a panic because she didn't know what to do Mm. (laughs) because she didn't really want to get the puppy vaccinated, but she didn't know what to do she thought sure. she ought to do something and her friends were all telling her to vaccinate the puppy and she just felt a lot of pressure and a lot of stress and someone finally told her about us and so she came in and she still didn't know what to do and i talked to her about what we do mm-hmm. you know no sods and then mm-hmm. and then she felt good about it you know she said well that makes a lot of sense and i'm i'm excited to do that and mm-hmm. so a lot of times it's just an unawareness you know there's sure they don't have any awareness that there's other options that's right. And the conventional vet world certainly won't tell you about these other options, you know. Yeah. Which are mainly um, you know, either do nothing or or use no sods um as a as a way to help build immunity. And um I I I see people do nothing and be fine with it, you know, because they were doing a lot of things right. You know, they were doing good diet and they were mm-hmm. minimizing chemicals and drugs and having a real healthy environment for the dog or the animal. And yeah. um, I, I think that's really key. And I think, I think no sods are, are great and I think they help a lot, but I wouldn't really say that everyone, you know, everyone has to use a no sod or else, but I think they can be real helpful and I think they're really safe. So I'm at this point, I'm pretty sold on them. And um, yeah, I wrote an article a while back for dog naturally called sold on no sods. And <laughs> that's, that's how I still feel. Until somebody can convince me otherwise, but um, well, you've had just some a lot success of, with it. A lot of experience in the clinic too has really helped convince me. Yeah, yeah. Well, so. and I think that's so good for people to know. And I think it goes back to what you said. It, there's just a lack of awareness. You know, yeah. you're told to do this, and you know, we put so much trust in um, you know the veterinarians, and so you don't even question it. And then next thing yeah. you know, you have this dog that's eating all your socks and you're, there's no connection, you know, yeah. he's trying and, to bite everyone in the family or. Yeah. You know, yeah. Stay in the yard anymore. And all yeah. Kinds of and so then you're trying to undo all this damage and 
So I think a lot of it boils down to, you know, try not to have fear um, and use natural things to stimulate their immune system um, and immunity um, versus some of these things that are causing um, some of this damage. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Um, Todd, for joining us today. This has been such an interesting topic as we've been um, learning so much about some of these common things that people have that come up and kind of what they point to. So thank you so much for sharing your wealth of knowledge. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah. And as always, we will we will meet up again and um, and uh, until next time. Thanks again. Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you love this episode, share it with someone who may also want to help their pet. You can share it now or post it on social media. Tag me in it so that I can reach back out to you. I'm so proud of you for taking steps to help your amazing furry family member. Talk to you soon.